are headed to uh, Children's Church, I want to just share with you a passage of Scripture that, that mentions that um, James is talking about, and I know the psalmist talks about it as well. He says, what is our lives? It's a mist that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes, and time goes uh, pretty quickly. And um, that's the whole motivation behind this sermon series that we're starting today. I'm excited to start this new series. We're going to talk, talk about we're only given so many days, so many years of life, and I want my life to count for something. I want, my, I want to make the most of my opportunities. I want to make the most of, of my life. I want to make the most of, of what God has given to me. I want to be like, I see uh, Jody and Sherry back here. I want to be more like an Ed Yaley who lived 89 years for his Lord and, and touched uh, so many lives. Um, I want to be like that. And uh, I just want to impress upon you, um, life is fragile and it doesn't last as long as uh, we think it's going to. And... and um, this song kind of talks about that. Gang of kids on our pedal bikes In a dusty town we'd ride To the general store for candy cigarettes Class of 99, we lived, laughed, and loved, and cried. We took for granted that those days would never end. Living like that yearbook picture wouldn't fade. For some standing right beside me, I might never see again. The trouble is, you think you have time. Think tomorrow's always coming down the line. Then one day you wake up and find the trouble is you think you have time. A suit and tie and a fancy job, a big old house, two car garage. He works hard. His wife and a son, an empty seat at T-ball games. It's just a sacrifice he'll make. He'll make it up when next weekend comes along. The years go by and that day comes too soon. When that boy goes off to college, you stand in an empty room. The trouble is, think you have time. You think tomorrow's always coming down the line. Then one day you wake up and find the trouble is, you thought you had time. Shells in a tackle box on the floorboard of a truck. The morning sun is burning fog off a lake. A teenage girl and her granddad, he takes her fishing, but he feels bad. She can't take her eyes off that old Facebook page. The 
someday soon Who knows how long But she'll look up from her phone And he'll be gone Trouble is, you think you have time. Think tomorrow's always coming down the line. Then one day, wake up and find. Trouble is, you thought you had given so much of it and we need to make it count and um, I, I just reminded of that the the older I get the more I, I think about that the older I get the faster time goes can I get an amen to that I've told you this before the way my dad put it was life is like a roll of toilet paper the closer you get to the end the faster it goes and so uh, I believe that's true I believe that's true. You might have heard about the college professor. He was furious. Nine students failed to show up for his evening class. It wasn't until 7 p.m. did the first one start to straggle in. It was a 6 o'clock start, and the first one comes in about 7 o'clock, and he walks in. He says, I'm sorry, sir, but I had a date, and I lost track of time, and I missed the bus back, and I was determined to get back on time, uh, so I hired a cab. And as we're riding into the cab, would you believe it? The cab broke down, but I was determined to get here. And so I went to a farmhouse and I convinced a farmer to sell me a horse. And so I'm riding the horse to campus and the animal fell over dead. And I walked the last 10 miles just to get here to class. The professor, he was a little bit skeptical, but he let the student off with a reprimand. However, after him... Seven other stragglers in a row came in with the exact same story. Had a date, missed the bus, hired a cab, bought a horse, so on and so forth. By the time the ninth student reported into the professor, the professor obviously had grown pretty weary of the story. Okay, he growled to the student. Now, what happened to you? He said, sir, I had this date. I missed the bus back, so I hired a cab. He said, wait a minute. Let me just finish this for you, right? He said, you, the cab broke down, right? He said, no, sir. No, sir, cab didn't break down at all. It was just that there were so many dead horses in the way, it took a long time to get around. <laughs> Don't we make excuses a lot of times uh, from, from doing what we know we need to do, from doing the right thing? Don't excuses sometimes hold us back from doing what we know God wants us to do? God has each given us so much time, and we, we use that time really however we want to. God, he, he trusts us. We, we just spent a whole uh, 
three weeks, a whole series on stewardship of money, but he also has given us time. He, he asks us to be stewards of the time that he has given to us, and sometimes our excuses hold us back from doing the things that we know God wants us to do, and I'm excited to start this series today because I want all of our lives to count I want all of our lives to count for something. And the idea is that we're only given so much time. We're only given so many opportunities. We've only got this one life. And so we'd better make it count. And so we're going to look at different areas of our lives where I think we need to make those things count. Suffering and faith and love. Those are the three things I want to talk about over the next three weeks. And so today we're going to talk about um, how to make our sufferings count right? How to make them count. I recently learned uh, of a GQ article that talked about um, when is it okay, and you need to understand this is written by a female. Don't read more into that statement, but when you hear what I say next, this is what I'm saying. It was written by a female, but she wrote when it's acceptable for a man to cry. Okay, so keep that in mind. She says it's okay for a guy to cry if you're in extreme pain. Okay, it has to be at least an eight on the pain scale before you're allowed to shed a tear. Examples of this might be a kidney stone or can I get an amen, guys? And ladies. Okay, ladies as well. You you could do that. Or, you know, you drop a piano on your foot or something like that. You know, some some kind of serious pain that, that really, really hurts. Then you can cry. It's also okay to cry, men, at certain movies. For example, if you didn't get a little misty-eyed over Top Gun Maverick, then I'm checking your pulse, guys. Am I right? Something's wrong with you. If you didn't do that, also say for a guy it's okay to cry at Toy Story 3, Avengers Endgame, and Hoosiers. Can I get an amen to that? I cry every time. Every time Hickory wins the state championship, I shed a little tear. She says it's okay to cry when you hold your newborn or a grandson, or whatever. I agree with that. No shame in that whatsoever. But what about at actual sporting events? Not movies, but actual sporting events. Guys really get into sporting events. Can you cry about sports? Here you go, guys. Just trying to help you out. Take notes. Only if you're actually on the playing field, she says, can you cry. And only if your team won, because if your team lost and you cry, you are now whining. And that is not acceptable. And she says, you can never cry if you're a fan. And I could not disagree more with that statement. You let your team go 108 years without winning a championship. And then they finally win one. And you're going to cry just a little bit. Amen, Randy Clark. Amen. All right. Very good. It might be another 108 years before they win another one, but that's all right. What's even worse is I'm a Cowboys fan too, so uh, I can't even cry over that. Anybody old enough to remember when they were good? Okay. Yes. And finally, what about arguments? Can a guy cry during an argument? She writes this. Um, Sorry, guys, but crying an argument is kind of our thing. So uh, there you go, ladies and guys. Now, this is tongue-in-cheek, but here's the reality. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that within the next year, you will encounter, not just men, but women, we all will encounter situations to cry. Maybe more than once. Because following Jesus does not make us exempt from pain. Does not make us exempt from trials or troubles or discomfort. 
We, we watch TV sometimes, or we watch a movie sometimes, and Hollywood always depicts Christians as people who never have any problems, or maybe who live in a fantasy world, or whatever the case may be, but that's not the way it is at all. Following Jesus will not make all the pain go away. Just because you are a Christian, it doesn't mean you're going to suffer less, but it does mean you can suffer better, right? Right? You can make it count. When you're going through a difficult time, you can make it count. And so our text today is this. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The brother of Jesus said this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing Nothing. The NIV says, count it all joy. And so what the Bible is basically telling us is that your suffering counts, right? You, you, you don't have to just crawl in a hole and you don't have to just wallow in self-pity. And I know sometimes people are beat up and sometimes it's really difficult. But here's the deal. You can take the suffering that God has given you and you can make it count in a positive way. And James has two principles in this very short passage that we've talked about today that basically uh, one of them is inevitable. It's going to happen. And the other is optional. Okay. So here's what is inevitable. Here's something that's going to happen regardless. You can bank on this. A lot of things in this life you can't be sure of. This is one you can take to the bank. You can count on troubles. They're going to happen. Notice James doesn't say if you encounter troubles. He says when you encounter troubles. Because you are going to have troubles. You're going to have trials. And dealing with trials and dealing with the hard seasons in life. It's not an elective. It's going to happen. It's a required course for every person. And James is talking about these trials that you encounter. He's not necessarily talking about the trials you create. And I want to be honest for just a second. I think you appreciate that from a preacher. If we can be honest, a lot of the pain that we suffer in our lives is our fault. Would you agree with that? Some experience financial stress because of poor financial decisions we've made in life. Some experience health problems because of maybe some poor eating decisions or or maybe some decisions about other things we choose to put into our bodies. Some experience relational pain and trials because we have a tendency to to maybe not act the way that we should. Sometimes I know I have a tendency to be rude. Sometimes I have a tendency to be impatient. Sometimes I have a, a, uh, a tendency to be insensitive. Sometimes we create these situations ourselves. But even if you don't fall into any of these areas, no matter how well you line yourself up with the will of Jesus, you will still encounter troubles of many kinds. Spencer, we've talked about this many times, how the disciples, Jesus told the disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake, and they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, and they still had a huge storm in their life. Just because you're doing everything that Jesus is asking you to do, that doesn't mean that all of your troubles are going to go away. We are not immune to the effects of the fall. We all have to deal with it at one time or another because we live in a cursed world. The way that things are in this world is not the way that God created them to be. And they're not the way that they're going to be when He returns, but it's where we live now. That's how it is now. 
So forget the distortion that you might see on TV and in the movies. Christians can hurt and Christians can cry too and we should. And it's not that we suffer less, but we can suffer better. We can take those situations that arise in our lives and we can use them for the glory of God. So you can count on trials, right? But make your trials count. Make your trials count. Trials are not always caused by God. They're not always caused by Satan. But God always can use these trials. The outcome of the trials and the troubles that we suffer in our lives can be determined by our outlook. Think about that for just a second. Our outcome can be determined by our outlook. How we respond to the situations that are difficult in our lives can change everything. Look at verse 2 again. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it. That's a choice. You have a choice how you're going to respond. It comes from the, uh, the Greek financial world. It literally means to count. In fact, the NIV translates it. Count it all joy whenever you are faced with trials of many kinds. It's, it's a finance word. Count it, right? Evaluate it. Determine it. Look at the actual worth of what's going on. So James is saying, guys, listen, suffering is a given. It's inevitable, but the option is whether suffering is going to be a gift from God for you to grow or it's going to destroy you. And so it's really not up for debate as to whether we suffer pain or not. It's going to happen. What we can determine is this. Will you consider it joy or are you going to let it rob you of joy? There was a, an evangelist from Great Britain. His name was William Sangster. And at an age way too early, he was diagnosed with a debilitating disease. It was progressive. It was, like I said, it was debilitating. It was ultimately terminal. And while he was going through this early on in his, this season of his life, he made four resolutions um, that he faithfully kept until the day he died. The first was this, I will never complain. And then he said, I will keep the home bright. And he said, I will count my blessings. And I will try to turn it to gain. Because counting is a choice. Right? It's a choice. What we focus on. You can't make it go away. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to make it count? And you might be sitting out there and you might... Be thinking, listen, Ron, I don't need this sermon today. And if you don't need it today, you're going to need it at some point. Maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. But you will need it. And I want to give you three questions that come out of our passage of Scripture today that I hope will help you when you go through this difficult time. When you're in that season of suffering, ask yourself, number one, what can I learn? What can I learn from this suffering? Because what do we normally do when we're going through a difficult time in our lives? What do we normally do? What do we normally ask? Why God? Why this? Why now? And, and that's okay. Ask God because God's big enough. He can handle those questions. He can handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle our complaints. Read the Psalms. It's full of complaints. <laughs> right? God is big enough for people to ask, why God? Where are you, God? How long, God? 
And so as we express our questions, I do want us, though, to be careful not to cross the line where we're putting God on trial. As someone once said, God is not the one in need of justification for what He does. We're the ones that need justification. God doesn't have to run the universe a certain way that makes sense to us. Remember the Bible teaches that His ways are not our ways. He doesn't have to explain His sovereign choices to us. You know, I say this all the time. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. You know, why? I don't need an answer. He is a sovereign God. He can do whatever He wants to do. And here's the deal. If when you're in the dark and God says, I've given you enough things to remember in the light that will carry you through the dark, and you can trust my goodness, even when you don't understand, you can trust my character, you need to rest in that and you need to trust that. Because here's what I think. I think understanding our problems or enlightenment of our problems is an overrated pain reliever. It's simply not true because I've said this before and maybe you have too. If I just knew why I had to go through a difficult season in my life, I'd feel better about it. If I just knew why. Let me ask you this question. If you knew why your dad abandoned you and your mom when you were a kid, would that have made growing up without a dad less painful? No, it would still be difficult. Right? So knowing the why is not going to change the situation. If you knew why your parents split up, would, you have, would that have made it less stressful? If you knew why your spouse was diagnosed with cancer or your husband had Alzheimer's, would that mean that you wouldn't be afraid anymore? No. See what I'm saying? Knowing the why does not lessen the situation. If you knew why that guy had, had a drinking problem and why he got the, behind the wheel of a car and why... He took the life of a friend. Would that, would that make going to the funeral less difficult? No. Knowing the why is way overrated as a pain reliever. There's something better than gaining the answer to the why. And that's gaining wisdom. I think it's interesting that right after James says, let your trials be a source of joy because they can mature you. Right after that, here's what he says. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Oftentimes when people go through uh, difficult situations, they ask, do you, think, do you think God's trying to teach me something? I answer that by saying, God's always trying to teach you something. God's always trying to teach me something. And here's the deal, it's often in the classroom of suffering that we are the most teachable. Probably the lesson most learned is that it teaches us to rely more on God, right? When I wasn't suffering, I was more self-sufficient. When everything was, was sunshine and roses and everything was hunky-dory, I'm just, uh, do they still say that? hunky-dory. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? A couple, I said that, and a couple of you went, huh? Okay, so everything's going great. We tend to rely on ourselves more, right? I've also witnessed people who, when going through tough times, they value their relationships more. They come to the conclusion that what matters most are the people that they love the most. 
And so when we're going through a difficult time, pain has a way of snapping those things back into focus for us. And I think suffering also gives us better insight into the gospel sometimes. Because suffering teaches us the difference between happiness and joy. I don't have to be happy all the time. But I can have joy even in the darkest of times. Right? The difference is this. Joy doesn't really matter about the situation. Happiness is when everything is working out the way that we want it to. Right? The Bible talks about this deep-seated joy that we have. That's the product of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't come and go based on our feelings or based on our emotions. Suffering teaches us to reprioritize our lives. But maybe most of all, suffering helps us to keep eternity in view. Here's what Paul said to the church in Rome. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. Because here's the deal. Suffering is temporary. We are not. Okay? And anything that we go through in this life, it can only, if we keep it in the right perspective, it can intensify our hope and it can intensify our longing for the resurrection. And we should count that as a blessing. It helps us to keep more heavenly minded because you don't, you don't always get to choose your, your pain, but you do always get to choose what you're going to do with the pain that you have in your life. And so if we ask ourselves, what can I learn from this? It can change our whole perspective on what's going on. And then the second question we ask is this, how can I grow? What can I learn? How can I grow? James says, count it joy because this is an opportunity for you to become complete. It's an opportunity for you to become more mature. And so the interesting thing here is this, James is assuming that all of us who claim to be Christians, we have this goal. We all want to be mature, right? We all want to grow. It should be the goal of every Christian, right? And if I ask you out there to raise your hands, I'm not going to, but if I ask you to raise your hand, how many of you, one year from today, you want to be more mature as a Christian than you are right now, I think every single one of you would probably raise your hand. But I think sometimes our prayers speak otherwise. Lord, I want to grow. I want to be more like Jesus but also, I want you to take away all my problems. <laughs> I want you to fix my situations. I want you to fix all the people that I don't like. I want all the tough times to, to go away. So the question is this, what do you really want the most? Do you want comfort? Or do you want maturity? Because sometimes you, you can't have both. Usually, you know, to have one, you have to forfeit the other is the way it works a lot of times. I remember uh, reading years ago about an interesting science experiment in Arizona. It was something that they built called the biosphere. I think they even made a silly movie about it. They built this huge dome inside of it. They put several mini environments, such as a rainforest and a desert, even an ocean kind of in there. And they put these scientists inside of it, and they were to live inside of it for two years to see what life would be like in pristine and perfect conditions. The only condition that they couldn't reproduce inside the biosphere was the wind. And what they couldn't find out um, 
was, or what they did find out actually, was, was how wind actually helped develop other things, such as trees. They couldn't develop uh, the wind, and because they couldn't develop the wind, the trees couldn't develop properly. So as they began to grow, the lack of wind kept them from developing the strength that they need to support the growth of the tree, and the trees would just fall over. The same principle is true in life, right? Resistance builds strength. You want to get stronger, you go to the gym and you work out. You put weight, you put more weight on, you keep lifting, and that that resistance builds muscle, and you become stronger because the greater resistance, the greater potential for developing strength. What's true in the world of nature, what's true in biology, is also true in the spiritual realm. Listen again to what Paul says to the church in Rome in chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You know this is true, right? You think about it. The people that you look up to or that you have looked up to, maybe even now, but all throughout your spiritual life, those people who have mentored you, the people who have helped you the most in your life, the people that you admire the most, who are they? Are they people who've never had problems? No. Are they the people who went through problems and they finished well? So the question is, what do you want more? Do you want comfort or do you want character? David Brooks is not a Christian writer, but he writes for the New York Times and he wrote this one time. He says, we live in a culture awash in talk of happiness. In one three-month period last year, more than a thousand books were released on Amazon on the subject. When people remember the past, they don't talk about happiness. It's often the ordeals that seem most significant. People shoot for happiness, but they feel transformed through suffering. That's a secular writer. Not even a believer in the Lord that sees that suffering can transform you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to us. I think if Paul were standing here right now, if he was able to speak to us right now, I think Paul would tell you that the trial he wanted the least was the one that formed him the most. He had a trial that he prayed would be taken away. He prayed three times that the thorn in his flesh would be taken away. We don't know what that was. It was, you know, it was probably some type of physical malady, and it made his life hard. Some people think that he had poor vision. Some people think he was just ugly. <laughs> I've heard it say some people think that he was a little bit arrogant and had trouble dealing with that. But here's what he said about it. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That was Paul's view of suffering. 
And notice God didn't rebuke Paul for asking it to be taken away. God didn't say, Paul, you're being so selfish. No, he didn't at all. He said, I want you to grow through this. Because the fact is this. The only way you can ever experience the sufficiency of God is if you're in a season of insufficiency. Think about that for a moment. God doesn't give you strength instead of weakness. He gives you strength in the very midst of weakness. So that if you're squeezed by life, what is inside of you is going to come out, and what comes out is the character of Jesus. Or at least it should be. Here's the final powerful question I think we can ask ourselves in a season of suffering. Who can I bless? One of the beautiful things about being a part of the body of Christ is that you don't have to suffer by yourself. The Bible says we weep with those who weep. And so when we have those times when we're crying, when we have to cry, we don't have to cry alone. This is why it's so important to, to be connected with someone in the church through, through, a, through a class or through small group or through some other connection. Um, someone put it this way one time. Put it in athletic terms. Following Jesus is a team sport. It's not something that you should be doing on your own. And if you're not connected with other Christians in some way, I hope that that will be one of your spiritual goals in the days ahead. Because what happens is this. When you're connected with other, I th others, I think the Holy Spirit empowers you even more to help others as you seek that help yourself, right? I think he, he leads you to ask the question, how can I use my situation that I've had to go through to help others? I think about people who have been hurt, how they are the best ones to help people who are going through a similar struggle. I witnessed this yesterday. I had the opportunity to speak it and sing at a, a, a New Beginnings Recovery Program down in Seymour. And so I'm standing out here on this stage in this little park in downtown Seymour. And I'm singing to probably about 100 addicts or so who are recovering. And I'm up there and I'm playing and I'm doing my songs. And, and I, I, I'm speaking and I don't, I don't know if I heard anything. I really don't. I don't know. If I, I was basically background noise, and that's okay. But what I did witness was this. Somebody who wasn't a very eloquent public speaker got up and started talking about his journey of being a recovering addict, and every eye and every ear was focused right on him because he'd been through it. He had that story. And God can use those situations To bless other people. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He comforts us in all our troubles. So that we can comfort others. They are troubled. We will be able to give the same comfort. God has given us. So I think a very good prayer to pray for all of us. Would be Lord how can this trial. Expand my heart's capacity. To love people. Instead of focusing on us. And why we have to go through what we're going through. How can you take this situation. And help me to expand my heart's capacity to love people. What can this situation that I'm going through now. Do to help me love people. Who are going through it too. It could very well be that what you're going through right now. If it's a difficult thing. Or maybe something you've gone through in the past. It very well could be that God is preparing you to do 
what He's called you to do. He's going to take your situation. As someone put it once, He's going to use your test and turn it into a testimony. I've shared this with you before from Rick Atchley. He said, what if it's your weakness that God wants to use to be your witness? We all have a story to tell. And that story should include the hard lessons of life. And will that story say, well, that season got the best of me, or are we going to say that that season brought out the best in me. We get to choose. So here's the closing truth that we need to understand. You can count on God to make your suffering count. You can count on God to make your suffering count. You can trust in God's character. You can trust that He's going to grow your character. And I know that's true. Because the God that we're talking about this morning, as Dave Fisher talked about in the communion meditation as we sung in the song, God knows what suffering's all about. He knows what it's like to feel pain. He understands it. Not theoretically, but personally. He didn't separate himself from pain. Instead, he chose to come into this world in the person of Jesus and take on pain. We worship a God who has scars on his body. And so he knows to, what to do about suffering. And this should get us excited. Listen to this. As the worship team comes, listen to this passage of Scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. In other words, we're being told that one day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is the Lord and we stand before Him, He's going to say, thank you. I never let go of you, but you never let go of me either. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Not because you suffered less, but because you suffered better. And you made me look good. Do you realize that? When we suffer the right way, it makes him look good. It doesn't have to make us look good. That doesn't matter. It makes him look good. So if you can't make it go away, make it count. And I don't know when you're going to need this sermon. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's down the road, as I said. But you will need it. I'm going to guess that some of you do need it right now. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I want you to just ask yourself, what can I learn how can I grow? Who can I bless? And maybe some of you today need to surrender your lives to Him. You've never made that decision to 
confessed Jesus as the Christ. You've never repented of your sins. You've never been baptized into Him. And so you've gone through some of these sufferings without Him by your side, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit helping you through that. We're going to sing this song of decision. Maybe you're watching online today. Maybe, maybe you'd like to talk to someone. Um, you can reach out to us through the church connection number. You can do that here in the service as well. You don't have to be online to use the church connection number. You can, you can reach out to us. And we'd love to talk to you about what you can do to surrender your life to Christ. Let's, let's pray together.